So let's give it up for Luke Hazelmeyer as he comes up to speak. Thanks, man. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing this morning? Doing good? <laughs> cool. Okay, so what I'm going to be sharing on this morning might sound like a Christian cliche to you. I want to give you a warning right off the bat. I think it actually has a lot of substance, but it might sound cliche. And while I was thinking about cliches, I stumbled upon this article online called The Five Dumbest Cliches. So just want to start by quickly reading you that, see if you like it. It's from the Saturday Evening Post, and um, let's just dive in. So number one, you can't have your cake and eat it too. The post wrote, really? I thought that was the point of having cake. What else are you supposed to do with it? Throwing it at people sounds entertaining, but might lead to negative consequences. Okay. Second one. There's no such thing as a stupid question. <clears throat> Not true. There are lots of stupid questions. Asking your significant other, you aren't going to wear that, are you, is a stupid question. Or asking, did that hurt when someone slams their thumb with a hammer does not make one look smart. Perhaps a better saying is, don't be a jerk if someone asks a stupid question. Okay, number three. <clears throat> if it's not one thing, it's another. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> this is like a doctor saying, if you don't have the flu, you must have some other ailment. Or a detective saying, if the criminal isn't here, he's somewhere else. Wow. <laughs> Profound. Number four, the five-second rule. Amazingly, people are convinced that if a piece of food is on the ground under five seconds, it's still okay to eat. It turns out the ground is not very sanitary. For starters, it's covered in dirt, which is not very clean. That's why we refer to unclean things as dirty. And why the five-second time frame? How is that more sanitary than six seconds? This rule truly doesn't make any sense. And number five, take the bull by the horns. I wonder if anyone has thought about what would happen if someone actually attempted to do this. It definitely wouldn't be pretty. First of all, it's highly unlikely that someone would be able to grab the horns in the first place because they're attached to two tons of hooves, muscle, and anger management problems. For the sake of argument, let's say someone does grab the bull by the horns. Then what? What could a 200-pound man possibly do when he has hold of a 2,500-pound bull's horns? Okay, there you have it, the five dumbest cliches. <clears throat> some uh, Christian cliches that you might hear. Maybe you've heard some of these before if you've been around church long enough. First one is, God won't give you more than you can handle. Anybody heard that one before? Yeah. What does that mean? Secondly, give it up to God. Oh, this one. Just, hey, whatever you're struggling with, just give it up to God. Okay, great. How do I do that? Just give it up to God. Okay. Um, not super helpful. Third one, who's heard God works in mysterious ways? Oh, yeah. So um, Christian cliches, I think at their best, they used to mean something profound, but now they've turned into something that 
um, doesn't really mean anything. In fact, let me quick give you the definition I found of cliche. A cliche is a phrase or opinion that is overused and betrays a lack of original thought. It's something that people just say, not because they know what they're saying, but this just feels like the right time to say, let's grab the bull by the horns, whatever. So um, I think at their best, they used to mean something. Now they don't. At their worst, cliches minimize the experience of another person. Cliches minimize the experience of another person. So just give it up to God. You know, I don't care what, I don't need to hear about what you're going through. I don't need to hear about what you're feeling or what you're thinking. I don't need to hear about your story or anything. I'm just going to minimize all that and just give you this answer for anything. And so that's how cliches can be harmful. And so I wanted to start off by saying that what we're going to talk about this morning, some have used it as a cliche, and it maybe has become a cliche to others, but I really think that when we dive into what the Bible says about it, that we're going to find um, a depth of meaning. And so what we're going to be talking about is finding your joy in Christ. So um, let's pray, and then we'll dive into it. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would open our hearts and open our minds to whatever it is that you're saying to us this morning. I ask that we would leave here more in love with you and more ready to share your love with the world. I thank you for the joy that you've put in us that we have access to at any point in time. And I ask that you just give us a deeper understanding and experience of that joy today and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. I really believe that learning how to live a joyful life is learning how to follow Jesus. That one and two, are they are intertwined. That if you really are going to follow Jesus, you're going to learn how to be joyful. And if you are really wanting to learn about true joy, not false joy, but true joy, then you're going to be, you have to go to Jesus to find that. So I believe that they are intertwined. Um, some questions that the the idea of joy in Christ might generate that I hope to answer are these. One, um, if, I, if finding my joy in Christ is following Jesus, does this mean that I'm not allowed to be sad? That might be a valid question. Or do I need to be happy at all times except for funerals? Then I can be sad. Um, can I be sad when I'm watching a movie? Or am I like somehow abandoning my love for Jesus if, you know, whatever movie causes me to tear up a little bit. Not saying that that's ever happened to me before. Am I allowed to be saddened by Cincinnati professional sports teams? Is that... <laughs> Another question, is it wrong for me to get joy from other things in life? Like, is it okay if I get joy from TV shows or movies or Instagram or video games or chips? <laughs> is, that, is that okay? <clears throat> So those are the questions I hope to be answering. Um, I don't want to present finding joy in Christ as a cliche, and I really don't think it is. I think that even if some of you use it that way, it has so much meaning, and I can't wait to unpack that with you. So let's start in John 15. We're going to read John 15, verse 11. It's going to be on the screen, so you don't have to have a Bible, but if you like to follow along in your own Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. So John 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you 
and that your joy may be made full. So this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And I think it's pretty interesting what he says here, that he gives us his joy and that makes our joy full. Real quick, I want to talk about what joy in Christ isn't before we dive into what it is. Sometimes, I don't know about you, when I'm trying to learn something, talking about what um, it isn't actually helps me learn what it is. Um, One example is my other job. We do this um, program in public high schools, and we play a game called Hug Tag, where all the students go around and just hug each other for like, um, like 30 seconds. And we have to tell them, hey, these are the hugs you cannot do. And we go through like five of them. So anyways, sometimes it's helpful to know what something isn't to know what it is. So joy in Christ isn't denial. First thing I want to say, joy in Christ is not denial. Um, 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 through 5 says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Notice that Paul did not say, because God comforts us, we don't have any troubles. It's not denial. Joy in Christ is not just denying that things are happening around us that are painful or bad or hurtful or frustrating. Um, notice that Paul did say God comforts us in our, in our troubles. So joy, it's not denying the negative around us. It's just understanding that even though there are negative things happening around us, that there's still joy in us through Christ. We're going to talk about how to access that more in a little bit. But second thing that joy in Christ isn't, it's not pretending that you don't like other things. It's not pretending that you don't like that show. It's not pretending that you don't like to go to Kings Island or that you don't like that particular snack or that you don't like that particular person. It's, it's not pretending you don't like other things. I think people get this idea that we should pretend like we hate everyone from um, 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Uh, that verse, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. But usually people don't finish the verse. If you finish the verse, it, it says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride in life. So what are the things in the world, or what's love? Loving the world is um, a form of lust. And when you think about lust, lust is when you look at, an, like sexual lust is when you look at someone who is not your spouse in a way that you're only supposed to look at your spouse. That's lust. And so when we lust against God, what we're doing is we're looking at something that we're in a way that we're only supposed to look at him. We are looking at success. We are desiring it. We're craving whatever it might be, success. And the only person we're supposed to look at like that is God. And so, um, so that's where you lose your joy is when you start looking at other things in a way that you're only supposed to look at God. But we don't got to pretend that we don't like, you know, fill in the blank. Third thing that joy in Christ isn't, it's not saying you feel happy when you don't. 
You're not being joyful if you lie. Okay? Just lying, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, really, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. That's not like, people spiritualize that. They say, well, if you really love God, then you would just always say that you feel good. Um, fourth, joy isn't the belief that your relationship with God will prevent all sadness. That if you really loved, have you ever heard this before? If you really loved God, then you just would never be sad because you always have him. That's not what joy in Christ is. So uh, here's a fifth one that I added. It's not going to be up on the list. It's also joy in Christ isn't naive optimism. It's not just like ignoring all the problems that are around you and just, well, it's all just going to work out. That's not joy either. So that's what joy in Christ isn't. Let's talk about what joy is. And I want to read that verse again that we read earlier. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. That first phrase is really interesting to me. Jesus doesn't say, I've spoken these things to you so that joy may be in you. He says, I've spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you. So the joy that's in us actually is there because it started in him. Joy is in Jesus And that joy, that same joy, has been given to us. And so here's what I realized out of that. Another person's heart condition or mindset can become ours. You can actually adopt a mindset or an attitude or a heart condition from another person, God, or from another human being. The process usually is you spend time with somebody, You start to notice their thoughts and their attitudes in you. You adopt those thoughts and attitudes as your own, and then you don't consciously think of those thoughts and attitudes as theirs anymore because they've become yours. Example of this, um, I'm reminded of a game that I learned when I was 10 or 11 years old from a friend of mine named Steven. Anybody ever heard of the game Punch Buggy before? I don't know how far, I know that, you know, I, I was born in the 90s. I know that um, anyone born in the 90s probably remembers. I don't know how far back it goes. But um, Punch Buggy, it's, called, it's a game, but it's not really a game. It's just an excuse to punch somebody, honestly. <laughs> and I remember the first time that I learned Punch Buggy. I was sitting in my mom's van. She was driving. My friend Steven was sitting next to me. And all of a sudden, we're just minding our own business. I hear him say out loud, punch buggy, no punch backs. And then he socks me in the shoulder. And I look at him like, ow, dude, like what was that? He's like, it's punch buggy. As if I, that would make sense to me. I'm like, what is that? He's like, I saw a, uh, a Volkswagen Beetle bug. And if you see one, the first person to say punch buggy gets to punch somebody. And I was like, this game is stupid. Like, why would anybody want to play this? But interestingly enough, the next time that I was in the car, I was with my friend Steven. I was with my two younger brothers. (laughs) And my mom was driving. And I see a Volkswagen Beetle bug. And I think to myself, oh, Steven taught me punch buggy. This would be a great moment to teach my brothers punch buggy. And so I'm like, punch buggy, no punch backs. And I punch both of them at the same time. 
Joey with my right hand, Kyle with my left. And they're like, ah, what was that? And so same process. I, so I taught them the game. And so then me and my friends all started playing this, and we got crazy with it. Like there were rules for Mustangs and Corvettes and Priuses and <laughs> trucks and F1. It was like crazy all the, how elaborate our punch buggy got. Uh, I don't remember any of, the, any of it. But, um, but here's the interesting thing that happened. Um, the, we'll call it the punch buggy mindset for the sake of my point, okay? I did not have, I, I was not ever thinking about punch buggy when I saw beetle bugs before Stephen taught it to me. But then he taught it to me. And then when um, I was with my brothers the next time in that next moment, I thought to myself, oh, this is the game that Stephen taught me. And then I proceeded to teach them. And then the next couple of times, it was still, oh, this is this game Stephen taught me. Oh, this is the game Stephen taught me. But eventually, I stopped thinking about Stephen altogether because it just became a normal way of operating for me. It became my mindset. It wasn't my mindset before, but because of spending time with him and my experiences with him, it became my mindset. Same thing happens in tons of different circumstances, good and bad. Like, if you hang out with really joyful people a lot, you probably are going to think more joyfully. If you hang out with really negative people, really cynical people, you're probably going to start thinking more negatively and more cynically. Who you spend time with affects how you think and the posture of your heart. And so my first kind of application for if you want to find joy in Christ, one thing you might need to do is stop hanging out with negative people. Stop hanging out with people that complain a lot if you want to stop complaining. Stop hanging out with people that gossip a lot if you want to stop gossiping. I'm not saying totally cut them out of your life, but think about that. Who am I spending the most time with in my life? How is that affecting my state of joy? Are the people that I'm spending time with actually decreasing my joy because their thoughts and their mindsets and their attitudes are becoming mine? So the best person you can spend time with to release that joy that's inside of you is, guess, Jesus. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you will notice his thoughts and attitudes in you. And it's not because they weren't in you and you're earning the right to have them in you. It's because they've been in you since you were born again, but Spending time with him actually removes the distractions and removes the lies and removes the negative thoughts that um, keep us from experiencing his joy. So, uh, second thing I'll tell you is if you want to experience more joy, spend more time with him. Not because it's a formula, it's a relationship. And the people you spend time with, you start to think and act and speak like they do. So I don't know what it needs to be for you. Maybe it's getting up 15 minutes earlier to spend time praying and worshiping and reading the Bible. Um, maybe it's worship on your way to and from work. Put it, turn on a YouTube channel instead of whatever else you listen to. Maybe right when you get home from work, read your Bible for 15 minutes. Maybe if you're getting home to your spouse and the kids, maybe they get 15 minutes and you watch the kids, then you switch. Get creative with it. But if you want to experience more joy, you got we got to spend more time with Jesus. That's just a fact. So we know the wrong ways to find joy in Christ, and we talked a little bit about a couple of life habits 
that will result in joy, like we talked about, um, not being around cynical people, fill in the blank, but uh, how do we find joy in Christ in the moment? So in the moment of stress, in the moment of anxiety, in the moment of fear, how do we find joy in those moments? I want to talk a little bit about that. So we're going to read Nehemiah 8, verse 10. This is what it says. Then he said to them, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Another commonly repeated phrase, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's unpack, let's unpack that a little bit. So, first thing I took from this is that we are actually weak without the joy of the Lord. Like when in our lives, if we're not experiencing God-caused joy on a regular basis, there's a certain weakness and frailty that results in us. We actually need the joy of the Lord um, for, to be strength. And so when we don't have joy, it's probably because we don't have God's perspective. And when we don't have God's perspective, we have a weak perspective. Let me read that again. When we don't have joy, it's probably because we don't have God's perspective. And if we don't have God's perspective, we have a weak perspective. If we're not thinking like God thinks, then we have a weak perspective. And a weak perspective is going to compromise our ability to experience joy. Joy really is a matter of perspective in a lot of ways. I want to make a quick caveat. The Bible says to mourn with those who mourn. I'm not saying that if you're ever sad, it's because you have the wrong perspective, and if you had the right perspective, you wouldn't be sad. That's not what I'm saying. No. In fact, if being sad was somehow wrong or unspiritual, then how do we explain Jesus wept? And so I'm not saying that uh, um, times of mourning or times of sadness means that you, you know, there's something wrong with you. Um, in fact, uh, I think in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, Paul makes it kind of clear. He says, we grieve, so we do grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. So there's a difference between grieving with hope and grieving without hope. And that's like a whole that's another message that I want to time to totally go into that. But let me just say this one thing about it. If you don't grieve a tragedy, you aren't human. But with Jesus, you can conquer the grief of any tragedy. Okay? I really, really believe that. And I think that is the key to understanding the difference between grieving with hope and grieving without hope. So joy in the Lord is often a matter of perspective. I was talking to a friend, his name's Terry, recently, and this is what he said. Joy is often a matter of perspective, and our cares and anxieties get in the way of that joy. So kind of what I was saying earlier, that there's joy always in us, always accessible by us, but our, our anxieties and our cares and other things can actually get in the way of us experiencing that joy. Let me circle back to something I was saying earlier. Earlier I said that joy is not denial. 
And what I mean by that is joy in Christ isn't denying that bad realities exist. It's just not giving those bad realities the ability to dictate my internal state. So it's not saying, oh, this stuff out here is, not, is all great, but it's saying even though this stuff out here isn't great, it's not going to change who I know I am in Christ. It's not going to rob me of the joy that Jesus died to put in me. <clears throat> and so um, I really believe when we have a heavenly perspective, when we are viewing situations in our lives the way God views them, um, external circumstances just don't compromise our internal state. That that is the key. The key to not losing our joy is viewing situations the way that God views them. Um, an example, have you ever watched a really suspenseful movie before? Like the kind of movie where you're on the edge of your seat and most of the time the main character is in some kind of trouble and you're sitting there watching it and you are literally feeling anxiety for the person, you know? Like, my wife Jamie really gets into movies like that. And, um, and so usually either there's some kind of resolution and oh, there's a huge sigh of relief or the worst thing happens and I'm just like, why did I even watch this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I'm depressed now. <clears throat> um, but um, have you ever watched a really suspenseful movie and then watched it a second time with a friend who was watching it for the first time? That's a fun experience. Because they're sitting there freaking out like you were the first time, and you're sitting there like, oh, yes. You know, you know what's going to happen, right? And since you know what's going to happen, you're not experiencing that anxiety. You're actually probably getting enjoyment out of their experience of anxiety, which <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. Probably not. <clears throat> So the first time you watched the movie, you had anxiety. The second time you watched the movie, you had no anxiety. What changed? Did the content of the movie change at all? No, it's the same movie. The thing that changed was your perspective. You had a, you had a more ignorant perspective the first time because you hadn't seen the movie. The second time you watched it, you had a fuller perspective because you'd seen it. That is what happens when our joy gets robbed from us and then we get God's perspective and we take it back. That we're not seeing the situation in front of us the way God is seeing it. And because we're not seeing the situation the way God is seeing it, we're experiencing something that steals our joy. But when you take a second and you seek God and you ask him to give him your perspective, oftentimes that can just take care of all the anxiety and the frustration and the stress right there. Here's a difficult thing though. Anxiety, it's not only, it not only takes the place of joy in our heart, but it actually hinders us from going to God to get his perspective. Like, when you're feeling anxious, usually the last thing you want to do is say, Lord, you're amazing. Can you tell me what your perspective is on this situation? It's kind of like anxiety. It's like, imagine you're stranded on a desert island. Anybody seen Lost before? Imagine you're stranded on a desert island and you see, you know, you've been waiting for weeks for a plane and then you finally see one and you have one flare and instead of shooting off the flare to the plane that can help you, you run to the back of the island and shoot it the opposite way. Literally, anxiety aims our thoughts, words, and um, actions away from God instead of to God. And so it takes, when you're in those moments of 
of feeling, whatever it is that's robbing you of your joy, it takes, okay, Lord, I need your perspective on this. Will you give it to me? The other day, I was driving from my house in Forest Park down to a business, down to a meeting that I had planned out for a couple of months. It was a meeting with six or seven people, and we had some things to talk about, some long-term planning things, and um, we had actually rented out a space in Norwood, really cool space to have our all-day meeting, and it was just a really, really important meeting. And so I left my house with uh, 15 minutes to spare, and I get 15 minutes into my drive, and I realize that I left my backpack at home that had everything in it that I needed. Isn't that the worst feeling ever? Like, anyone ever, like, like, leaving your phone at home, like, that, that's horrible, or your wallet, or your key, I guess you couldn't leave your keys, but anyways. <clears throat> Actually, hilarious story. I probably shouldn't go into this for the sake of time, but I'm going to. My other boss, my other job, Pete, he drives a uh, BMW where you don't got to put the key in the ignition. He was getting into his car to drive from Westchester to Williamsburg, which is like super far east. And somehow the key fell out of his car in the parking garage, but it still started because the key was close enough to the car. And he drove 45 minutes away with the key on the ground in his parking garage outside. And so he got there and he, he, started, he kept trying to start his car again. He's like, my car won't start. It says the key isn't around. And he realized that's what he did. So you can leave the house without your key. <laughs> um, <laughs> <clears throat> I forget what I was talking about now. <laughs> oh, my story, my story. Van's going to be like, see, that's why you shouldn't have gone into that. Okay, so, um, so I left my backpack at home, and I was oh, this is the worst. And so immediately I go from joy and excitement about this meeting to pure anxiety and stress. And so um, I probably would have started to drive really dangerously if I wouldn't have had this next thought, but um, I am uh, sitting there in my car, I'm turning around, and I have the thought, you know what, if the meeting starts 15 minutes late, it's not going to ruin the whole day. And it was such a freeing thought, but that's how I was thinking before. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be 15 minutes late. Everything is ruined. And so um, that was cool. I, I feel like that was God giving me a higher perspective than I had. But then I felt like the next, my next thought, which um, I think it was God inspired, was this. But even if it does ruin the whole meeting, it's still not worth losing your joy. And that was really profound to me. Like, even if something is going to get ruined, or even if, um, you know, whatever, it's still not worth compromising my internal state because of what's going on around me. And what I realized is it really is a choice, that we don't think of it as a choice. We think of joy as something that happens to us that we have no control over. But joy really is a choice. And the way that you choose joy is you choose a different perspective than you had before. And in that, you experience um, a strengthening. And so the fourth kind of application I'll give you is seek God for his perspective when you aren't experiencing joy. When you're stressed, when you're frustrated, when 
things aren't going your way, take a second, ask him, Lord, I have this perspective right now. What perspective should I have of this situation? Real quick, last week Van shared five perspective issues that actually rob our joy. And I want to go through those real quick and share um, if this robs our joy, what's something we can do to combat this? So he talked about how romanticizing the past can rob us of our joy. This is something that you deal with if you're thinking about the past and you are always wishing, you know, you're kind of living in the past. What I'll say to you is find things in the present to rejoice in like you rejoice in the past. Find stuff that's happening right now and rejoice in it with the same tenacity that you did back then. Second one he shared was, we have unrealistic expectations for the future. This can rob us of our joy. I deal with this myself. If this, if this is something you deal with, I want to encourage you, have periodic expectation check-ins with God. So have, peri- have times consistently and frequent enough where you ask God, God, here are my expectations for my life, for my job, for my marriage, whatever. Um, are these expectations realistic or are they unrealistic? And let him refine them with you. Uh, third thing, we judge ourselves too harshly and this robs us of our joy. If that's the case, talk to someone. Here's what I know about all perfectionists. Perfectionists make perfect sense in their own head but sound insane in the real world. Okay? So if you're, you know you're a perfectionist, if you are always crit- judging yourself and criticizing yourself, just go to someone and tell them, hey, this is what I'm currently thinking about myself and That'll probably help straighten you out. Don't go to another perfectionist, though. Because then they'll be like, oh, yeah, that's normal. <clears throat> okay. Fourth, we compare ourselves to, other, to others. So if this is you, I want to encourage you, stop asking, what do others think about me? And start asking God, what do you think about me? Really, a, the root of comparison is caring too much about what other people think. <clears throat> And then the last one, Van Share, we have bitterness toward another person. If this is where you are, I want to encourage you, just forgive. You will dread doing it for a couple of days, and then probably a couple days after, you're going to question whether you should have done it or not. But then, for the rest of your life, you'll wonder why you didn't do it sooner. I'll close with this. The other day, I was playing my favorite video game called Age of Empires 2. And probably doesn't mean anything to anybody in here, but it's a game that I really like. And one thing you should know about me is that I am actually a pretty strong introvert. Like I would say I'm either 85% introvert, 15% extrovert, or 90% introvert, 10% extrovert. And so it doesn't mean I don't love people. I love hanging out with people. But what I also really love, time by myself. Like it's amazing. <clears throat> Like a true introvert, right? And it baffled me when Jamie and I got married and how she would get antsy after like an hour by herself. I'm like, weird. But um, I love, I love doing things by myself. I love, so that's why, that's one reason why I love video games, doing it by myself. Or I love to um, do music, write music. Uh, This is why I especially like spending time with God every morning with coffee and my Bible. It's it's not only spiritually rejuvenating, but it actually kind of helps how I'm wired. It rejuvenates me also. So I love doing stuff by myself. 
Um, what drains me is when I don't get that time. And so, like, a couple weeks ago, um, we had like three evenings in a row where we went to work, stayed at work until we were done, and then we went to go do something else. And we actually were doing that thing, and by the time we got home, it was actually time to go to bed, and so we didn't get that time to wind down. And I hate that. Like, I, I hate it when I don't get time just to go home and kind of decompress. It's just like go to bed and do it all over again the next day. And so I was mentally tired after like three days of that. And that whole time, I would like get home and know I need to go to bed, but I'd look at my computer over on the desk and it'd be like taunting me to come play it. And, but I was like, no, I need to sleep, but I want to play it. And so it was like a battle. But the whole time I knew, okay, on Saturday, I got nothing planned for the afternoon. That's going to be my video game time. So that Saturday comes, and again, I've just been eagerly anticipating it the whole time. And here's the best thing. Jamie actually went out to go do something else at that point in time. And so not only did I get that time, but it was like guilt-free introvert time. And I say that because like if she's there, I know, okay, she's getting bored. She's getting bored. I need to I need to wrap this up soon. So like, but she is gone, so there was none of that. So I sit down to play my game, and it's just like, oh, it's so nice. And I get about five minutes into the game, and all of a sudden, I'm, the computer, it's kind of an older laptop, the screen just goes black. And I'm like, but then it comes back. It's like, oh, shoot. So I play another couple of minutes, it goes black again. I'm like, what is this? And then it comes back. And then it, it starts doing that more and more frequently until it, it would go like, you know, be five seconds of playing, and then there'd be five seconds of blackness. And I started to get way more frustrated than I should have gotten. (laughs) And I started to do stuff that I think testosterone makes you do, but makes no sense. Like I I could pick the computer up and kind of slammed it on the desk, thinking that would help it. (laughs) Like, come on, work. And I I grabbed the screen and was starting to like bend it, thinking that would help it. (laughs) Probably made it worse. And then I just shut the laptop, and I was just, I was so mad and so frustrated. And, Jamie, and then Jamie gets home right at that moment. <laughs> and she walks over like, hey, what was that banging, and what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. And so I was just like, I had a sour attitude for the next couple hours. And honestly, I looked back on it like that night and was embarrassed. And I even apologized to Jamie. I'm sorry. That was so dumb that I got that mad over a video game. Um, but I was just really looking forward to it. Well, that evening, my friend Gene comes over. And Gene says to me, or, or no, he, and, he cont- and I was still feeling the remnants of that when he came over. And so I just told him, yeah, you're never going to believe this. My stupid laptop broke, and I couldn't play my game anymore. I've been looking forward to it the whole time. And he was like, oh, really? Well, I actually have one that uh, I don't use anymore. I think it could probably run your game just fine. You want to have it? And I was like, or borrow it. And I was like, yeah, awesome, dude. That'd be great. And so he brings it by the next day. I install my game. I sit down to play. And it is like night and day in terms of quality. Like, my old computer is kind of old, and the game would kind of skip, and it would kind of slow down. This game, it played at the perfect speed, just the right speed. 
The graphics were even better, but in this computer, it was just better um, on all fronts. And my, my, exper- my actual gaming experience like totally increased. <clears throat> and I realized, wow, I w- had such a poor attitude about all of this, but now I see, what if this was God actually taking away this other thing to give me an upgrade taking away my, um, giving me a better, and what if his plan all along was to give me a better experience than I had before? And I realized if my computer hadn't have broke, the day that Gene was coming over, then he wouldn't have offered me his computer. I maybe never would have even known he had one. And so what I realized is, um, man, I wish that, I, one, I wish I wouldn't have let the experience of my computer take so much joy away from me. But two, I wish I just would have trusted God in the moment and been like, you know what, Lord, this is happening, but I know you care about this part of my life, and so I trust you and how you're going to um, upgrade me through it. And so the point I want to draw out of that is um, when things are frustrating, we have two options. We can be joyful when we get the upgrade or we can be joyful until we get the upgrade and then continue to be joyful. And here's the thing. If we, are, if we just wait until we get the thing we want to be joyful, then we get the natural blessing, yes, but we don't get the spiritual blessing. But in those moments where it's frustrating, if we can keep that internal sense of joy, if we can stay joyful until we get the upgrade and then, can, and then on, we get the natural blessing and the spiritual blessing. And so I want to encourage all of you, all of us, that in moments of stress, stress, in moments of frustration, in moments of fear, seek God's perspective and trust him and let's be joyful um, through it all until we get the blessing that he has for us. So with that said, I'll invite the worship team out. Also, if you're one of the ushers, we're going to receive the offering at this point in time. If you happen to be sitting on the most left part of your row, everyone check to see where you are. If you're the most left, would you reach down and grab that brown basket and just pass it down the row? That'd be really helpful. Um, You can place any offerings into that basket. Those will make their way into our system. Um, And so we're going to go into worship now. We've got four songs, probably about 20, 25 minutes. And uh, I'll let you all know, a lot of you know this, but you can come to the front if you want to worship up here instead of sitting in your seat. If you would like to kind of get out of your chair and get some more space, feel free to come up here. The back is also available for you to worship. And let's just spend some time putting our adoration on Jesus. So that, I'll hand it off to the worship team. Let's all start by standing. Thanks, man.
Give it up for the Lord one more time. Yeah, you're so good, Lord. We love you so much. Um, we worship you and we give you honor and glory this morning. I'm going to invite the prayer teams to come forward, make their way to the front. Um, if there's anything you came in this morning needing prayer for, it could be something physical emotional, whatever it might be, I want to encourage you to come and get prayer from one of these people, and especially for those that struggle with depression. I feel like the Lord is going to be breaking depression off people this morning, and so I want to invite you to come forward and get prayer for that. So I'm going to pray one last time, and then um, we'll close out the service. Father, we love you. You're so amazing, and uh, thank you for how well you love us. Just be with us now and for the rest of this week, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, guys. See you next week.